This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. It is Q&A time, and let's get right into it. So first question we had, best meal prep strategies and how often should the meal preps vary? Some weeks I make the same thing the whole week. All right, so as far as meal prep strategies go, typically I tell people, okay, first and foremost, you need to choose the days per week that you're going to be meal prepping, and you want to set these in stone because the thing about meal prep is it's super easy to like okay, I choose Sunday as my meal prep day. And then Sunday comes, I don't really feel like meal prepping. I'm gonna, tomorrow's gonna be my meal prep day. And then it's Wednesday, you have no food for the week still, and you haven't hit your macros all week. So one of the biggest things I hold my clients accountable to when this is an issue is, okay, what specific times, for most people it's gonna be two days per week, typically Sunday and Wednesday are the days people choose, are you going to meal prep? Okay, from there, by what time okay you chose sunday so by what time sunday night can i expect you to have sent a picture to my inbox of the completed product of your meal prep and likewise for wednesday and we are going to instill this habit we are going to no matter what no matter how you feel these two days per week you're meal prepping because again there's always going to be an easy day to or an easy way to rationalize why now's just like not the day meal prep and then you don't hit your macros all week so First and foremost is establishing one to two days that are set in stone. These are your meal prep days, whichever is whatever days are most convenient to you. For me personally, I use a meal prep service now because I'm not a huge fan of cooking. I'm definitely not like the guy you come to for cute fall recipes. Um, but in the past when I did meal prep, I would just do Sundays because that was easier for me. I don't mind eating the same stuff all week. That said, if like your stuff being... I would say like the fewer times per week you can meal prep, the better. The fewer times you have to decide to do something that's uh, pretty fucking boring for most people, um, the better. Like we want to eliminate decision fatigue there, which is really a big trend with meal prep overall. Like a big reason we push clients to meal prep in the first place is because most of us don't have the willpower to three time, three to four times per day cook for 20 to 30 minutes something that's healthy so we want to change the path of least resistance we want to make the easiest thing for you to do what's also in alignment with your goals so in most cases like if you already have meal prep ready the easiest thing to do is just continue to eat on plan you grab that tupperware throw it in the microwave like it's literally easier than ordering takeout but on the flip side if you haven't meal prepped following through with your goals makes it the hardest thing to do and like on a random tangent here but like this is something i talk about with many of my clients we identify this trend like look you always have good weeks when you meal prep the weeks you choose not to meal prep you don't have good weeks you don't hit your nutrition goals you are choosing not to be successful if you're choosing not to meal prep because we've established that as like one of the most important things for you to stay on point all right (laughs) it's kind of on a tangent there but choosing your number of days first and foremost is most important from there You just want to choose a couple food sources for each macro. So what I would literally do, the easiest meal prep possible is, or the easiest meal prep strategy possible is going to be literally just pulling up your MyFitnessPal right now and planning out a day of the week. So first we're going to go through this entire day 
and plug in protein sources for each meal until you hit your protein goal. So let's say, okay, I'm looking at breakfast. Okay, dope, I'm gonna have eggs and turkey bacon. For lunch, I'm gonna have chicken. For dinner, I'm gonna have sirloin steak. For a snack, I'm gonna have cottage cheese or maybe some whey protein. Okay, cool. So there you I just identified two to four protein sources that you need to pick up from the store. So basically what we're doing here is we're working through your, your each macro source and identifying like two to four macro sources that you're gonna grab at the store. So there, okay, cool, I identified my protein. If I'm gonna eat this same thing every day, I just multiply this times, okay, whatever that portion size was of each of these protein sources that got me to my overall protein goal for the day, I'm gonna multiply that, multiply that times five, six, seven, however many days in a row you wanna eat this same meal. Um, from there, okay, now what carb sources pair well with these proteins? So, okay, for breakfast, I'm having um, eggs and turkey bacon. I'll probably just like grab a piece of fruit with that. For lunch, I'm having chicken. Okay, I might like maybe pair that with some rice. For dinner, I'm having steak. Damn, I love a steak and sweet potato. So I'm gonna pair those two up. And then I could probably have some more like, just grab some more fruit to throw alongside my um my cottage cheese and maybe I'm throwing like some grapes in there or I'm gonna have like a banana and a protein shake. Okay, cool. Now from there, we plan fats last typically here because most of your protein sources will already have a good amount of fat in them. So for example, for breakfast, we have um, eggs, which are gonna have like, we have four eggs, that's about 28 grams of fat. So already plenty there. Similarly with dinner with your sirloin steak, you're gonna have some fat. If you're cooking these things in olive oil, some fat's gonna be added there. But from there, like fat is kind of an add-on. So again, it's typically things like, olive oil if we want to add like some nut butters to your snack um if you want to add some avocado to a meal good examples but typically we know it's like okay maybe i can have room to work in a couple fat sources here but i don't need to go as hard on this and finally we want to make sure we have a couple veggies that pair well with your carbon protein sources so in this case we could look at like okay i have a chicken breast and rice for lunch Okay, cool. What if I make that like some type of Southwest fajita bowl? So I'm going to get fajita veggies to mix with that. Now, one thing as far as veggies go, note that at least I found personally, if I meal prep and I make my veggies and put them in a separate container, I'm not going to eat that shit. It's going to sit in my fridge all week. I'm going to eat my protein. I'm going to eat my carbs. I won't eat my veggies. So if you struggle with that, like I do, what I do is I would literally take my veggies as soon as I cook them mix them with my protein source and that's how you store it that for me <laughs> just forces me to actually follow through with eating my veggies um and from there you basically have the template for a day so if you want to mix it up a little bit more you could do this for two days and then you just have an entire week okay dope like i have the template for two different days i multiply this times x number of days that i'm going to eat it here's my plan for the week easy enough and then from there it's a good idea to like um, grilling protein sources, air fryers, um, crock pots, or even just cooking all your shit on a big ass sheet just makes it like a sheet pan as much as possible, makes it pretty easy. Um, but yeah, as far as protein, as far as meal prep goes, I think that's the easiest meal prep strategy from there. As far as how often should things vary? I don't think at all there's anything wrong with keeping things the same, across a week we could talk about how like some diversity in your diet is important because like if we're not varying things 
for too long we can eventually develop nutrient deficiencies that said i found this is kind of naturally correcting because people don't just most people don't just eat the exact same thing month to month to month when it's like hey i'm meal prepping this food for myself that's more an issue if it's like hey i gave you this specific meal plan follow this shit for four months but here like people naturally hey i'm kind of tired of this i'm gonna sub something else in um and i would recommend that you have typically like look at the meal of the day where you, that you enjoy the most. For most people, that's going to be dinner. Whereas breakfast and lunch, people typically like, hey, I just got to get breakfast down quick before I get to work. I just got to get lunch down quick, get back to work. Okay, I don't really take the time to enjoy that. So there we don't need that much variance. Here we want to try to reduce decision fatigue as much as possible. Even like deciding what you want to eat is taxing on your willpower. The more decisions you have to make during a day, during a week, the less likely you will be to be able to choose what's in alignment with your goals, which is typically the harder decision. Okay, so it makes sense to like, hey, I have these a couple staple breakfast or even like one staple breakfast. I eat this most every morning. I have like two staple lunches that I vary throughout the week. And then maybe every couple weeks or every couple months, I switch those up. And then dinner is where I like have a little bit more variety throughout the week, but I don't have to make these constant decisions. And like, maybe I always eat the same snack, like the same protein and snack. So I always eat that, like some cottage cheese with an avocado in it. And I have a piece of fruit on the side. Probably weird pairing, but yeah, roll with it. Um, but as far as meal prep goes, those are my recommendations. Next question is, where do you get your information and research from? And of course, this is in regards to nutrition, training, coaching, etc. So um, I have had a vast variety of, a vast variety, I don't know if that's like grammatically correct at all, but I've had a very... Like, I've had a plethora of different resources that I've pulled from um, over the years. Right now, the biggest people I'm learning from would definitely be one, my coach, Steve Hall. So one of the things that I've done over my career has very much like identified, okay, my, my goal is to provide the single best one-to-one online coaching service in the space. So who do I see right now that's doing it the best? So for me, the people I identified, like when I very first got into online coaching um, was the Taylor Coaching Method team and the Revive Stronger team. Okay, cool. I want to work with each of them and learn as much from them as I can, like pull what they're doing well and like apply that to my own service. So, and like, really, I think if you're a coach trying to learn how to be a great coach, the best thing you can do to level up your business is be hired or be coached by someone that um, has a business you want to replicate that is crushing it with clients. It's really great at application. So like, again, that's exactly what I did with Cody McRoom at Taylor Coaching Method, who I still work with as a mentor. He doesn't do my training or nutrition anymore. And we're recently working with Steve Hall, who does do my training, my nutrition, Right now, I've been learning a ton from him. I learned a ton from their podcast as well. Um, the Revive Stronger podcast is one of the few that few podcasts that I really listen to um, all that much anymore. Very much enjoy that. Um, outside of that, as far as podcasts, I would say that the Stronger by Science podcast is another that I learned a ton from. Um, the Boom Boom Performance podcast is a great one. Uh, but podcasts that I listen to is pretty limited past that point. Um, other people that I'm very much consuming their content, Eugene Teo 
is a great one. Um, he has a membership site called Gambaru Method that has a huge back end as far as like education goes. Um, such great content from him. The dudes over at N1 Education, Cody Moxley, I just had on the podcast, uh, what, like six, I don't know, it's like probably three weeks ago. Um, such smart dudes. I've learned a ton from them, and them and Eugene Teal are kind of in the same lane. As far as like, uh, just overall, I've learned a shit ton from them. Um, not only from speaking with Cody, but like absorbing their blogs, their YouTube videos, etc. The podcast guests that I have on are almost always people that I want to learn from. And really, I think that like <laughs> that's been one of the best learning experiences for me. Just being able to all these people in the industry that I've looked up to for so long, just being able to sit down with them for an hour virtually sit down with them and really pick their brains on shit that I find is interesting that I want to learn more about. That has been super cool to me. Um, and I've, I've learned a ton from that or it's like pointed me in a direction, like a new rabbit hole to go down as far as training, nutrition or coaching psychology. And then finally, I'm currently in the middle of Mac nutrition, which is a year long nutrition course, the best nutrition course in the space by far. I really don't think it's even close. Like it's straight up a year of modules every single week. There are <laughs> at least an hour, but typically hours worth of lectures. Um, it is so in depth, but the reality is that that as far as like learning resources goes, takes up a lot of my time, which like very much over the last, what it's been, I believe six, seven months since I started that I have consumed a lot less like so like this list isn't nearly as long like i haven't been on mass research review for example because so much of my time has just been devoted to mac nutrition but i have learned a ton from that as someone who was already very knowledgeable about nutrition um definitely worth the investment as well but yeah that is for sure i would say that's a pretty complete list of who i'm learning from right now and where i'm where i'm learning all right, next question we have is how do you transition a client from dieting to building from di a diet phase or a fat loss phase to a building phase? Is there a set point like 15% body fat or is it more based on feel, goals, etc.? So very much depends. Um, first and foremost, when we're coming out of a diet, we're going to reverse diet out of it. Now, as I've talked about many times, my approach to reverse dieting isn't like, hey, we're going to slowly increase you from your deficit 50 to 100 calories. We want to get you, especially if you're immediately going to a building phase, we want to get you to productive building ASAP, which for some people, and it very much depends on where the client is coming from. So the reality is, like the person who asked this client, asked this question is one of my clients who just got done with a photo shoot. He got shredded. And the reality is for him, like right now, as if you've gotten ready for a photo shoot, you know, when you're that lean, most of us feel pretty shitty. Our hormones aren't great. Our energy in the gym is trash. Our training performance isn't good. Our recovery isn't good. So the last thing we want to do is keep you there for months or even weeks. And the reality is many of our hormones that regulate how we feel come from the actual amount of body fat on our body. So in the case of like a client like this, um, we are likely going to be a little bit more aggressive in increasing calories. Just understanding that to get to productive building, you're likely going to have to gain a bit of body fat just because you'll feel better. And like right now, um, no matter what, like 
we kind of have this, I talked about the idea of P ratio, which is for both women and men, there is this optimal range of body fat that's ideal for a building phase. But below that or above that, your body is going to preferentially store calories that you take in as fat or more of the calories that you take in will go to fat rather than building muscle below that which is what we're talking about here like when your body fat is below a certain percentage you're just you just don't have enough fat on your body for your body to feel overall healthy for hormone production um levels of leptin are so low that your body is just going to prioritize especially for women um because like a certain amount of body fat is needed for reproductive health your body's just going to prioritize putting on a bit more fat. Now, don't at all, like, you can still be very lean. You can still feel great, like, shirtless without in being the optimal range. So it's not at all like, hey, you have to get super fluffy before you can get an optimal range for building. For most men, it's going to be, like, 10 to 15% body fat. For most women, it's going to be anywhere from 18 to 30% body fat. And it, especially if you're on, on the lower end of those, Ranges, you're going to be pretty damn lean still. But one is just kind of like understanding that mindset. So anyways, from here, typically we are going to increase your calories to about 90% of your estimated maintenance. And I've talked through like the reverse eating process, but basically we just want to be sure that we don't overshoot maintenance. Now from there, um, we're just going to see how your body measurements react, how your weight reacts. So the reality is, as we're increasing carbs, your muscle glycogen stores are going to be refilled. This is basically just carbohydrates that are stored in the muscle. They're going to help both training performance and recovery, plus it'll help your muscles look more full. So this is a positive thing, but those carbs also soak up water. I believe it's like three grams of water for one gram of carbohydrate. I believe that's correct. Um, so anyways, you're going to gain a couple pounds when we're transitioning from... Um, uh, diet to a building phase or like in this case we transition from diet to maintenance to building phase but we're basically just speeding the process up a bit um so a couple pounds increase and then we're also looking at body measurements so here realize that not only is muscle glycogen higher which is going to cause the scale to go up but also you literally have more food in your belly, which is going to cause you to typically weigh a bit more. Now, the measurement two inches below the navel, which is one of the measurements my clients take, is the most reactive to gut content, meaning the fact that you have more food in your belly is going to mean that typically this measurement is a bit higher. And measurements as a whole, it's normal to see like a quarter to a half inch fluctuation up and down for most of them, especially the gut measurements. Um hips, thighs, arms, basically the extremities, we don't see as much fluctuation on. But here we're not going to take too much stock in. Like we're expecting that two inches below the navel measurement to be slightly higher. Um, and measurements as a whole, we can see some fluctuation, but we shouldn't see any drastic increases. Like week one, we shouldn't see a half inch increase in all your belly measurements. And then week two, we see another. That tells us we've likely overshot maintenance, right? By And that would have to be by a lot. That's not a scenario that realistically happened that the larger increases. But um, from there, then we're looking at, okay, cool. So week one, week two, it looks like we nailed maintenance. How is your weight changing? Okay. Week one, like we saw the normal weight jump. Okay. Now week two, 
how has weight shifted? Now, for someone in the reverse dieting process whose goal was just maintenance, we would literally just be looking, okay, past these first like couple weeks where for women, I would say two to four pounds, for men, three to six pounds of weight gain is normal with this glycogen increase. And also granted that you don't need to gain some fat post-diet, you weren't like past that point where it's too lean to be sustainable. Again, using the example of the photo shoot, um, then here, now we're looking to, okay, rather than maintain like we would in that reverse diet process, again, we're looking to just keep weight stable. We're trying to avoid weight increases in a building phase for both men and women. We're typically looking to gain about 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week. Most people prefer to stay on the lower end of that, um, just because people don't really like feeling fluffy. So First, we're just trying to find about your estimated maintenance. That's typically the first two weeks, like immediately post-diet. So really, this is a quick, pretty quick process. Typically, like we'll jump to 90% of maintenance just to be safe. Okay, cool. It doesn't look like we overshot maintenance. Let's add another 100 to 200 calories. Okay, cool. Now you're still maintaining. Okay, now let's add another 100 to 200 calories. And typically by three to four weeks, and typically um, where as far as macros go, we're around a gram per pound of body weight of protein. We are getting about 0.3 grams per pound of body weight fat, 0.3 to 0.4. Now, some of those we can adjust due to the client's preference. But if we're trying to optimize everything for a building phase, it makes sense to keep fat a bit lower and carbs a bit higher. As we've talked about many times on the show, we have kind of this minimum fat threshold that we need to hit for optimal hormonal health and for most people and to prevent fatty acid deficiencies for most people that's 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound of body weight now past that point we don't really get any added benefits as far as performance building goes from more fat whereas we do get a lot more benefits from carbs you can train harder you can recover better um it's going to spike insulin which is an anabolic hormone it's going to help you build aka it's going to help you build muscle um with the proper training stimulus so it makes sense for this to be higher carb. But from there, again, then we're just increasing until we fall within this desired rate of gain, 0. 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week. And really, again, like once we find after these first couple of weeks of finding maintenance, we can typically, okay, cool, you're maintaining, let's add another 100 to 200 calories. On someone that's going to a building phase, I would be a little bit more aggressive. Whereas like someone, the goal is just to maintain, we can see like, Okay, you maintained this week, um, but again, the goal is just long-term maintenance. You're feeling lean, you're feeling great. We're going to make a small increase here, like maybe 50 to 100 calories, because it seems that your metabolism um, is increasing well um, across the reverse diet. Maybe you're moving a little bit more than you were previously. So cool, you can probably handle another 1500 calories. Whereas like in this case, we're transitioning to a building phase, we're gonna be a little bit more aggressive. So like, okay, you're maintaining, cool, we're gonna add another 100, 200 calories, depending on the overall size of the individual, because we want you actually gain about 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week. And on a different note, building, gaining weight, like the idea of this is a mind fuck for most people, but the reality is, we're not in a deficit anymore. You're not eating fewer calories than you're burning. So by definition, you shouldn't be losing fat here. So we know that muscle mass, which again in the building phase, putting on muscle is a goal for both men and women alike. We know that if you're not in a deficit, you're not losing, muscle mass has weight. So if you're not gaining weight in the building phase, 
you're just not making progress, which is why we push for like a pretty consistent 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week gained. Um, but yeah, in a nutshell, that is how we go about that transition. All right, guys, and that is all the questions we have for today. If you enjoyed this episode, if you took value from this, do me a huge favor, screenshot this on your phone right now, share it to your Instagram story and tag me. I wanna connect with you and thank you for listening and you're really helping me grow the reach of the show. And that is all I have for you.